it was a uh, crazy week in the West Coast of America, um, particularly as March started. Um, the first games, maybe the first two games to finish in March were very wild, and I was at one of them. I was in uh, San Francisco for the USF, uh, USD, that's San Diego, Toreros, and San Francisco uh, Don's game on Thursday night. Um, as I mentioned before, friends with the coach of San Francisco, Kyle Smith, and his wife, Katie, they got me literal front row seats right behind the bench. I was really uncomfortably co- close to their huddles, um, and the game was quite good. Um, San Diego actually is not bad. They're 109th in Ken Palm, um, and they'd already beaten USF the first time around. In this game, they shot great in the in the first half. Uh, they led at the break um, by six. I think it's six, yeah, uh, four, by five. But then the second half, they uh, cooled off, and San Francisco took a lead and was pretty comfortably in front. Um, they were up by as much as 10 with about three minutes to go, and even the final minutes are up by about six or eight. And But ultimately, San Diego uh, hit a buzzer beating, literally buzzer beating. The ball was in the air when the buzzer sounded. Three-pointer by Olin Carter III. Um, and then in overtime, he was up to the lead again, but San Diego won uh, thanks to Isaiah Wright, who had 24 points, and, and especially Isaiah Pinero. They have a pair of Isaiahs who had 28 points. Um, the, uh, Katie Smith, Kyle's wife was quickly, uh, out of the arena by the time the game ended. She actually, uh, picked up her purse when, um, USF did not score on a final possession when Charles Midland looked like he was fouled, but it wasn't called. And then on the ensuing rebound, um, San Diego was fouled, uh, which pretty much sealed the game, except there was a last second, three point attempt desperation shot for USF. USF went on to, um, uh, to lose again to Loyola Marymount, so they have had a struggling finish to the season. Um, and that was one of the first games to end in March, and it wasn't the last crazy game to end on March 1st, at least East Coast time. No, on, uh, later that night, Washington went to Cal and lost to one of the worst teams in a major conference in the country, if not the worst team, probably the worst team. California beat them 76-73. Uh, it was Cal's first Pac-12 win all season they had been 0 and 15 in fact if you go back to last season brendan they had lost 23 straight if you include the conference tournament they were ranked 279th in ken palm it was their first win cals in the year 2019 they had last one on december 21st they were terrible washington remember is going to win the pac-12 in the regular season and presumably go to the ncaa tournament but is this and we had an email about this from the would-be assassin is this the worst loss by a major conference team all season and it's definitely up there, if not the uh, not the worst loss. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of what else could have been the worst loss. I feel like, well, I mean, we've had uh, Baylor lost to Texas Southern. Um, that was a pretty bad loss. Uh, well, let's let's take this is a little bit of a long cold open, but let's take a look and see what the biggest upsets were this season. Um, this is tracked by uh, by Ken Palm, and let's see the biggest upset of the season entering the game was Texas Southern beating Oregon at Oregon by five. Texas Southern also beat Baylor by three at Baylor. Those are both major conference teams. Um, and, of course, Baylor at the time was 39, and they're pretty good in Oregon. was 21. If you scroll down a little farther, you get Boston College losing at home to IUPUI by seven. Uh, you actually have Duke losing at home to Syracuse. That's how highly rated Duke was at the time of that game. Uh, but, of course, they had injuries to Cam Reddish. Um, and then Trey Jones got injured in that game. Villanova lost by eight at home to Furman. Um, 
Arizona State's 21-point home loss to Washington State's on here. Uh, Michigan State losing home to Indiana. Um, let's see how far you have to get to get to the Cal game. Um, the Cal win over Washington is rated as the 34th biggest upset of the season. They entered the game with a 10.9% chance to win the game. Um, and it is the 1, 2, uh, 3, 4th, 5th biggest conference game uh, upset of the season. I, I mentioned a few of them in, before, but of course, you, you might say, okay, sure, maybe Duke was favored by more against Syracuse, barring injury, or... Um, but or Michigan State at home against Indiana it doesn't feel the same as the best team in the conference at twenty-two and five, losing to the worst team in the conference, winless in conference at five and twenty-two. Um, so I think like it feels like the biggest upset of the season in in uh, major conference play, uh, even if Ken Pomeroy might disagree. So just one more upset. You have to go back. I went back to twenty thirteen because that year Kansas was entering this game against TCU. They were the eighth ranked team in the country. They went to TCU, which was ranked two seventy eighth. And Kansas wow. lost that game uh, by a score of 62-55. They had a 2.7% chance of losing that game, according to Ken Palm at the time. And that was the second biggest upset all season long. So that's, to me, that's the standard bearer for like a major conference upset. You had Kansas, a legitimate team, a legitimate title contender that year. Uh, that was the year they got knocked out in the Sweet 16 by Michigan. And they went to TCU, just could not shoot and lost to a really bad TCU team. Um, so, uh, yeah, I watched that game. Yeah, I so did I. It was uh, like yeah. there was a lid on the basket. Trent Johnson was the coach. They answered that game. They had not won a game that calendar year either. That was played on February 6th. They beat Kansas. Um, they lost eight straight. And then after they beat Kansas, they lost another eight straight games, TC. So <laughs> quite, it wasn't quite the season turnaround uh, win they had. So that was a really bad loss, and it look, looked worse. Uh, and then Washington. Uh, then Cal went around. We should mention, though, Cal did go around and win on Saturday. Uh, so they're now 2-15 and 15 in the uh, – Pac-12, so good for the Bears. Quite the uh, turnaround. They beat Washington State, who also stinks, um, at home, 76-69. So, yeah, Cal, 2-15. and 15. Maybe they could be a bit thief. Maybe. We were talking about pretty much every team in the Pac-12 could win that conference tournament and be a bid thief. When you look at the Ken Palm projections, every team in the Pac-12, except for Washington State and Cal, is expected to go 9-9 and or better in conference. It's like the anti-Big East, where pretty much every team is expected to go like 8-10 and or worse. Uh, yeah, bit thieves. It's bit thief season. Yeah, well, uh, check check your wallets. Button the pocket with the wallet in it right now. Okay, if you got any bids in your pockets, button that pocket. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Pockets. Welcome to episode 19 of the Double Bonus Podcast. Yes, we're still here, along with Brennan DeRocher. I'm Tom Borstein. We're talking about college basketball from New York. It's supposed to snow three to seven inches here, which means everyone is panicking. I saw an Instagram post of a line waiting to get into Trader Joe's, which seems excessive. We know the lines there are long enough to get out of them, but to get in, that seems ridiculous. But of course, it's March. It means crazy weather. It means crazy college basketball. Brendan, how has your week been? It's been okay. Uh, you know, this is March means it's John Rothstein's turn to just absolutely be ridiculous on Twitter, although he pretty much makes that a year-round activity. Um, <laughs> Which is so. more annoying, the This Is March or the Sharpie by Seth Davis? Uh, I don't, uh, I don't uh, know. Uh, yeah. It's America's most watched network, though, so it's a network of stars, CBS. So, um, 
Yeah, I was out just now running. I probably should have run earlier before it started snowing. Humble um, brag. Yeah, a, a humble dumb brag. <laughs> um, dumble brag, I guess what we call that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping the snow isn't too bad because we'll fly out tomorrow to Los Angeles for the second straight week on the West Coast. Um, Good so mile. I'm retired after, after uh, yeah, after flying all around last week, but I did get a, get a chance to go see USF. It's a bummer that they, they qu- played a quite a good second half and then lost, but uh, this weekend, and then while I was waiting in LAX, um, I was in LAX Tuesday night, going to fly to SF for a couple of days, and um, my flight was delayed for more than two hours because uh, they lost the pilot. They didn't have a pilot. Um, yeah. Or a captain. They said captain. Um, so we had to wait for a, another flight to come in from Phoenix, um, so which was fine as it turned out because that gave me the window I needed to watch Providence play Butler, which at first seemed like a bad idea because it looked like it was probably going to be a Providence loss. Um, and then it was a really good idea when they came back in the second half and were leading late. And then it was a bad idea again when Butler came back down seven in the final seconds. This will this will uh, dig into our no homers uh, club time. I won't I won't go over this again then, but. And then in overtime, Providence managed to win on the road at Butler. And uh, and I saw that in the airport, and then we got on the plane, and then we got to SF, and it was pouring rain there. And, and that, that's, it doesn't really drain very well, I have to say, when it's raining. But <laughs> how about you? How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing well, Brennan. Thank you. Nice relaxing weekend. Some good college basketball games. Uh, some blowouts on Saturday. Some good games on Saturday. So, yeah. What's well, your, lots uh, of good games, man. This is yeah. March. This is March, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the uh, I'll start. One of the um, one of the biggest games on Saturday was we talked about the West Coast upset of Washington and Cal, but there was another upset out west. Nevada went to Utah State for its first Ken Palm A game all season, which is pretty impressive. You have to be in a bad conference, you have to have a terrible non-conference schedule, and Nevada's obviously a good team, uh, preseason top ten team, and they lost. Their offense was pretty bad. Jordan Caroline went three for eighteen. Um, the court was stormed. Nevada players got upset. Jordan Caroline apparently punched a glass fire extinguisher casing mm. or fire alarm casing. Mm. There was a Not huge smart. there was a huge blow up with the cops and the Nevada staff because the cops didn't keep the players from being touched in court storming. But let's we'll save the on court, off court or off court on court stuff for later. Right now Nevada is just has no impressive wins. They're obviously gonna make the NCAA tournament even if they don't win their Mountain West tournament. But here we are, we have Washington losing. Uh, in their conference to a terrible Cal team. Is there any chance you see Utah State right now is on the bubble? Is there any chance you see the Mountain West getting two bids and the Pac-12 getting one bid to the NCAA tournament? Well, I, uh, we're going to spend some time on this a little bit later. We have a, a first draft that we're gonna, we've done in a while where we're going to draft the bubble teams. We're going to have a, a really long draft, actually. So if you're really into long drafts, like, like the NFL draft, we're going to take 15 minutes between picks. Um, We're on the clock so already. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, Tom is the first pick, so he ha- he had to finish this whole segment. He has to make his first pick by the end of the fifteen minutes. Um, but uh, you know, first of all, first of all, Jordan Caroline, come on. Have we not seen this before? Kevin Brown, anyone? Didn't Amari Stoudemire do this exact same thing when he was on the Knicks and they lost to Heat? Stop oh. punching things. You know, like. Uh, I mean, I, I, he's not hurt, maybe. I don't know if he's hurt, but he's way too important to that team. You know, Utah State is good. Sam Merrill is uh, one of the, the best uh, kind of best-kept secrets, I guess, maybe not anymore. Nimeas Cueta is an excellent defensive uh, big guy. He's only a freshman. 
Um, he had in this game 13 points, 11 rebounds. He didn't actually have any blocks. Quinn Taylor had four blocks, but Merrill had 29 points. Um, Nevada is, uh, and in, in this game, you think Nevada's weakness is probably their defense, but um, in this game, they didn't really get burned on defense too much, despite Utah State being quite a good defensive team. Um, and Nevada's defense is ranked first in a very weak Mountain West. Um, I, I, I want to talk about Nevada's a little bit. It feels like one thing is I wanted to note, they do have an A win technically at Fresno State, but it's not a quad one win because they're not a net. They're 70th oh, yeah, in Ken Bomb, but I don't yeah. think they're tops, whatever, 70 or 75 in the net. Um, one thing I don't understand about Nevada is they they have all these transfers. They have like 15 guys on their roster who have played Division One basketball or scored like 10 points in a game like a, a game per season in Division One basketball. Plus they have a five star freshman in Jordan Brown, and yet they're 333rd in the country in bench minutes. Like I don't understand why Eric Musselman, you know, it could have spent the year with all these bad teams they're playing too. It's like they're playing a really bad schedule. They have the, not a top 100 schedule this season, and yet he's not getting his guys in the bench ample minutes. He could have spent the year developing Jordan Brown to a player who could be a contributor or a solid one by this t- time this year, but instead he's going still with a very short bench. Uh, if you look at this game, yeah, Jazz they Johnson played, yeah. played 26 minutes off the bench, had eight points, and then Corey Henson played 11 minutes, didn't score. So basically of their 76 points, 68 uh, came from the starters, and really – um, of those 68, 61 came from from Caleb Martin, Treshawn Thurman, and uh, Cody Martin. Like uh, Caroline, obviously will shoot and will score a lot, but he had a terrible game. So they're not a very balanced team, and it just didn't look. They didn't look too. They looked out of sync, obviously, on offense against uh, Utah State. Yeah, Caleb Martin, Cody Martin, Treshawn Thorn, Jordan Caroline each played 34 more minutes, um, and then the rest of the team. You know, they got basically a six-man rotation. But these are guys like like Corey Henson. This is a guy that, who at Wagner was like a, a really good scorer. Like, I mean, yes, it's Wagner. Yes, he's going up a level. But um, Nizre Zuzu, I remember him from Bryant because it's in Rhode Island. I, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But this guy was like a really good player at, at Bryant. I mean, I, yes, it's a bad team. But, like, why are you bringing these guys in? He played one minute. You know, Jordan Brown two minutes the whole game for a guy who's a five-star center. I just don't, like, he's going to, he doesn't like recruiting Eric Musselman. He's going to have a hard time getting players when he brings in a five-star and, and plays him as little as he's played him. Um, yeah, so uh, when it comes to Utah State, uh, this is one of the great coaching jobs of the season. Utah State started the year uh, ranked 168th, entering the game against Montana State. They're now 38th. Uh, Craig Smith, uh, in his first year, going from South Dakota, has turned a team that, um, had last year, you know, what, what Utah State is a pretty good kind of pedigree in history, but they were only 17 and 17 last year under Tim Duria. Um, it had been one of their worst. They had really three straight poor seasons under Tim Duria, and they hadn't been top 100 Ken Palm teams since 2011. And then here we are in the first season under Craig Smith and at 38th in the country. And I do think that this team looks like an NCAA term team to me. Yeah, up to thirty eighth. Yeah, up to 38th yeah. in Ken Palm, and they're now ahead of the Pac-12 leaders, Washington and Ken Palm. Washington mm-hmm. now is 41st. So, yeah, I think they're – right now I think they're in. So that's cool. Good for them. Big win. Uh, court storming a little ugly. But, yeah, maybe it's time to calm down with the court storming if you have people screaming at players, going up to players. It's one thing to just brush the court and, you know, deliria, like just delirious joy. But when you start going after other players and cursing at people, which is why Jordan Caroline was so upset. He wasn't upset. I'm sure he was upset about playing like garbage and that didn't help his mood. 
but he was also mm-hmm. upset probably because he was screamed at by Utah State fans. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that this is a a, a result or, or one of the downsides of kind of the culture of celebration. Um, you know, we see this in baseball. We have a lot of people who get really ticked off about players celebrating and like kind of taunting with like bat flips and stuff and then the other side says oh come on you guys are the fun police and it's and you shouldn't be like policing so much but part of the reason why there were these unwritten rules is is because like it doesn't feel good for someone to like celebrate vociferously in your face i mean i know these are fans and not players but part of the reason for that is because when you get someone celebrating in your face it is not a pleasant experience and you tend to react negatively so um also, you know, Utah State, Nevada, yeah. not really like the, you know, like a season-defining. That's a big win for Utah State, but is Nevada good enough to merit a court storming against? I know they're the best team in the conference, but they're not even that good this year. I mean, they're they're fine, they're, and they could be dangerous in the tournament, but they're not like it's not like they beat Duke at home. I don't know. It's a court yeah, storm. Two weeks ago, special yeah, occasion. two weeks ago, everyone was like, "Oh, Nevada, they're being jobbed by being a four seed in the bracket reveal," and now. Well, and I, I think we rightly I'll push back four, on that. Yeah. They'll, they'll yeah. take a four seed probably right now. I mean, I don't want to be ridiculous, but uh, they're twenty six and three. Why stop now? By the way, Brendan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they, if for some reason they were to lose out, uh, would they make the NCAA tournament at twenty six and six? Probably. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess it's probably. I mean, they probably would have a similar resume to like your your kind of. Um, Wofford or someone like that. There are five right now in the Matrix, by the way. Yeah, they'll probably drop. Um, I think the thing is, they're un- they're kind of propped up for a while by the fact that they had like just one loss the whole season. Yeah. But now that they have three losses, suddenly their record isn't kind of out of line with a lot of other teams. And so it's. It, I think that they could fall to several lines. So they could be looking at like a seven seed now um, or maybe even lower if they don't win the, the uh, Mountain West tournament. So. Yeah. So this is my turn. Well, yes, it's your turn. Let's talk about the the Big Ten. Um, we hadn't we didn't talk about last week the um, what had happened in the Iowa Maryland game. We talked about the fact that Maryland had won very close game by one, um, but we didn't talk about how there was some controversy around the um, announcer for uh, let me get his name uh, for Iowa referring to. Um, Bruno Fernando as playing like King Kong. Now we can, his name's Gary Dolphin is the announcer's name. Um, and we can talk about the appropriateness of that sort of, whether he was intent, intended to be racist, whether it was implicitly racist or whether it wasn't racist at all. You know, it obviously uh, was inappropriate because it wasn't really thinking about how, you know, how people would respond to that. You could have used a better metaphor. You could have not used like a massive uh, gorilla in a situation where uh, we're talking about... <laughs> Uh, people who have been compared to what well, we, we saw in the 90s when Billy Power got in trouble by calling uh, Allen Iverson a tough little monkey. So this is not, it's not like it's been, it's just this year. It's not like the PC police. It's been 25 years or 23 years since uh, Billy Power got in trouble for doing that. So and he was suspended. Um, and then Iowa, he's for the season, and he'll be back next season. He'll be back for spring football for Iowa, which is the more, more important thing for folks around there, I guess. <laughs> um, so they can get ready for to lose Northwestern again next year. Um, and then Iowa went to Ohio State and uh, lost by 20 uh, at the Buckeyes. Uh, Fran McCaffrey, um, the mild-mannered person, always even-keeled, never <laughs> Always in control, anything. yeah. Yeah, uh, who, who once... <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, you remember the the guy and his team used to poke people's eyes out constantly? You remember that guy? Uh, yeah. What was his name? His name was Adam Woodbury. Remember Adam Woodbury? Yeah. Adam Woodbury multiple times poked people in the eye, and <laughs> <laughs> like it happened like three times. Uh, and then he was asked, uh, Frank McCaffrey was asked about Adam Woodbury being uh, poking people in the eye and whether he had talked to him this player about trying to help him to not do that so often. And he got so upset. He was incredulous that someone thought that Adam Woodbury might have a problem poking people in the eye when around the country throughout the year, people get poked in the eye like once a season. This guy's doing it once a game. Anyway. Um, Hold on. That's three times. The question. That's three times he's got someone in the eye. How does this keep happening? Next question. Ask an intelligent question. Question: Why is that not an intelligent question? Because I said so. A very measured response from someone. I mean, you don't have to. You just, you know, yeah. Just <laughs> he's a little. He's a bit of a maniac, uh, Fred yeah. McCaffrey. Yeah. Um, and he uh, after the, the twenty point loss, you know, when you lose by twenty, it's probably because of a couple calls here and there. That was the yeah, reason yeah, why you lost yeah. by twenty. We're on the radio. So he, yeah. <laughs> he went after an official in the game, and called him a cheating uh, mother. Blanker. you know and such yeah, yeah. mother blanker um uh <laughs> was it brian dorsey was that who he was yelling at there's three referees in the game but uh, steve mc I, uh oh steve mcjunkins yeah 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 that was him allegedly yeah, yeah. He, he also gets turned away trying to buy a beer uh underage because that's clearly a made-up name steve mcjunkins <laughs> um so he got uh, so Fred McCaffrey accusing referees of cheating in a game that his team lost by 20, but he got suspended for two games. Iowa, of course, have been having a surprisingly good season. They, uh, they are one point, which were 20 and five, and even entering the Aussie game, they're 21 6 and 10 and 6 in a very good Big Ten. A lot of close wins. Uh, they lost by 20 to Ohio State in their first game without um, Fred McCaffrey this Saturday against Rutgers at home. They lost by 14. Uh, Rutgers obviously is one of the most improved teams in the country, but nonetheless, a 14-point home loss to Rutgers was not expected. And then they will go to Wisconsin on Thursday in a game they will not be able to win. Uh, and then they'll have McCaffrey back for the final game of the season, which will be at Nebraska, a team that's obviously struggling but still quite capable despite, well, Nebraska's 2-10 and 10 in their last 12 games, but still, in theory, capable of knocking off an Iowa team. So Iowa could go from being... Uh, nine and five in conference to uh, eleven and nine, or perhaps ten and ten, um, and then at the top of the conference in the Big Ten, we saw Michigan State lose uh, at Indiana, um, a game that they were really winning most of, most of the game. At least when I was watching, they were winning, and they ended up um, yeah, they were very high percentage chance to win the game throughout. They were up by ten at the fourteen minute mark. They were up by six with four minutes to go. Um, they didn't score the rest of the game. Indiana finished the game on a 7-0 run. Uh, the one thing I want to note about Michigan State as we consider um, uh, what they look like now without Nick Ward for maybe a few more weeks and without Josh Langford for the season is that this team is incredibly dependent on Cassius Winston now. Um, he was obviously their most important player, their best player most of the season, but we're seeing his uh, his possession percentage go way up late in the season. If you look at the – say the if you break it up into chunks, the first um, – five conference games, his percentage of possessions, remember 20% is average. It means right. that you're basically taking as many shots, involve as many assists and turnovers as the average player on the court. Since there are 105 players divided by 100% of the possessions is 20%. So first five games of the season, 26, 21, 29, 30, 30. Sorry, sorry 20, 26, 20, 26, 21, 
um, 26, 29, 30. So you see an uptick there the last few games. And then we have 30, 31, 25, 30, and 32. It's like, okay, well, you're seeing him play a lot. That 30s is high. But then if you look at the last set of games, 32, 39, 28, 32, 37, 35, 34, 31. And he's still been fine for the most part. He was not as good in the losses to Indiana and Illinois, and then he struggled in the win against Ohio State. Um, but he's still been the team MVP. Even in the Indiana loss, he was the Kempom MVP. He's MVP in four of the last five games. But it does seem like they're a bit overly reliant on him. If you look at this particular game, um, it was a slow-paced game. They still got a point per possession. Um, but besides Cassius Winston, um, you know, Tillman, Xavier Tillman, Aaron Henry, Kenny Goins, Matt McQuaid were all more uh, complementary parts. Um, Cassius Winston took uh, six to, uh, 12 shots in the field, four free throws, plus had 11 assists and three turnovers, and he had the last shot of the game, where basically Indiana dropped two guys into the lane to prevent him from scoring, and then the guy guarding him was able to contest the shot at the buzzer. Um, so I do worry about Michigan State going forward without two of their best players. Um, once Nick Ward gets back, you could imagine that they could be mostly back to normal, but I do worry about the chances of going to the Final Four and winning a national title without Cassius Winston. The last Big Ten result I'll talk about is um, Michigan. Just before we broadcast, there were about uh, six games this week that Com and I disagreed on. I had gotten all f- all of them right Ooh, until so this game. Yeah, yeah. Michigan went to Maryland and um, and knocked off the the Terrapins, uh, 69-62. Um, and now you look at the top of the Big Ten standings, and Purdue controls its own destiny because Purdue's fifteen and three, whereas Michigan State and Michigan are both fourteen and four, and they play each other to finish the season. Purdue has two more conference games at Minnesota and at Northwestern. Not gimmies, but certainly games you'd expect them to win. They have to drop one of those games, um, and Michigan State uh, would, would have to win both. They play Nebraska and Michigan at home, and Michigan plays uh, Maryland at Maryland and then at Michigan State, so they have the toughest road of the three teams. It looks like Purdue, despite the fact that they were at one point in the season 6-5 and five after an eight-point loss at home, on the neutral floor against Notre Dame, now is 22-7, and 15-3 in conference, and it seems likely to be an outright Big Ten champion, and if not that, they almost certainly will get a share of the Big Ten title. Yeah, so this weekend had uh, Purdue fans in the rare position of rooting for Indiana, presumably against Michigan State uh, yesterday. Indiana, two wins against Michigan State. Uh, they've had a really strange season, obviously. They've really struggled uh, in the Big Ten. They have some bad losses there. Then they beat Wisconsin on Thursday and double sorry in Tuesday in double overtime and then they beat Michigan State for the second time uh this season so credit to them they may be a case of too little too late for the tournament but we'll see I think they still have a shot they have they obviously need to beat Illinois and Rutgers probably and if they make some noise in the Big Ten tournament who knows what's going to happen with this crazy bubble which we're going to get to later Uh, but Purdue you know all season long everyone including us was talking about Michigan Michigan State how the best two best teams in the conference aren't going to play till late February, what's going on here, and Purdue basically just really relying on a, a very strong home court advantage. They haven't lost at home in the conference this season. Their only two losses in the conference have been to Michigan State uh, on January 8th, which they avenged, and then Maryland on February 12th. Um, they have not played Maryland. They only played Maryland Though they once, previously but... paralyzed, they played Maryland earlier in the season. Oh, and one, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so... Those are that two. was at your birthday drinks, Tom, if you recall. That was oh, on yes, the, uh, the bar. Oh, yes, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, good point. It was a guy from wearing a Baltimore Orioles hat who was very into the game, um, which I give him credit to since during the Orioles lost like 174 games last year or something. All figures approximate. Uh, yeah. yeah, so good job by 
Indiana to get some stuff done. But Purdue, we were talking about Purdue. Purdue is dangerous. Um, we, we've talked about Carson Edwards. They're a very good offensive rebounding team. Um, they are, uh, they're good, and they're probably going to win the Big Ten outright, which is something not too many people thought about uh, entering the year, as you said. So credit to them. Uh, credit to Matt Painter. And uh, we'll see how dangerous they are in the um, in the NCAA tournament. I still think people are not going to talk about them as the most dangerous Big Ten team in the NCAA tournament. Um, but they're very good offensively, and their defense is fine. So good for them. Yeah. The Big Ten quietly has four of the top 12 teams in Ken Palm, including three of the top nine and five of the top 17. So, you know, uh, the Big Ten is the best conference in America. People might not talk about the top teams as much because they might not have one of the top, say, four or five teams for the national title. I guess we can talk about that next week when we do our final um, top 25 poll. But um, but it's it's an excellent conference. Uh, one more thing about the Big Ten. One more so, thing. Yeah, one more thing. We're going to talk about Indiana a little bit in the bubble draft, but... Doug Gottlieb tweeted something about how Indiana shouldn't shouldn't be in the in the conversation if it's just a bad season, and this is basically uh, gaming the net by the Big Ten, just like you could the RPI. So it, it's like you have a decent non-conference schedule, you play so many conference games that you can't really drop too far in the net, um, and I think that that only works if you have an excellent non-conference season, which is what the Big Ten had. Like if the Big Ten had had the Big East non-conference season. Um, the Big Ten would be in big trouble, um, even if the teams were equally as good as they actually are. Um, you, it only helps you to play a lot of conference games if your conference is very good. If you have a lot, play a lot of conference games and your conference is not good, it hurts you. Um, so uh, I disagree with Doug Gottlieb on that one. I agree with him on more than I thought I would when I started following him on Twitter, but I definitely <laughs> disagree with him on that. Yeah, they're non-conference centers the schedule, by the way, 197th uh, Indiana this year, according to Ken Palm. Uh, moving on. Tennessee, speaking of revenge, they got revenge on Kentucky. They won 71-52 in Knoxville, and Kentucky had about as bad an offensive game as you can have, but give Tennessee credit. Again, a very starter-heavy performance of their 71 points. All but nine came from their starters. That could be a worry. Uh, Kentucky was without Reed Travis. They shot 14 for 44, had 17 turnovers. They had more turnovers than baskets, which is never a good sign. Whoa. Good good nugget. Yeah, Jordan Bone, 27 points, including 5 for 5 on threes. Graham Williams had 24, so right there, that's 51 points from two guys. Um, Admiral Schofield had the dunk of the day, I would say. Ian Eagle called it a man's jam. Uh, oh, that's classic Ian Eagle. Classic you gotta, I got to love that crew. I love that crew of Ian Eagle, Grant Hill, and Bill Rafter. What a, what a great crew. It was great. Um, which you prefer, though, Man's Jam or Rack Attack? Oh, I got to go with a, a Rack Attack. Okay. Yeah, this was a good What do dunk. you think? Are you a more Man's Jam guy? I think Rack Attack is good, too. It got some little rhyming there. Well, they're both rhyming, but true rhyme because Man's Jam is N and M. That's a slant rhyme. That's what we call a slant rhyme in the business. Yeah, in the business. Uh, yeah, so very impressive by Tennessee. Remember, they got smoked at not, uh, sorry at Lexington earlier this year. Uh, Tennessee, obviously, uh, we talked about them. No great, no top recruits. Rick Barnes has done a great job um, getting these guys together. Uh, they had a good week. They beat Mississippi on the road and Kentucky at home. They finish uh, home against Mississippi State then at Auburn. Um, and if you look at the SEC... It's going to probably be a split title, you would say. Tennessee right now and LSU are projected to go 14-2. So Kentucky's win really helps out LSU's chances of an SEC title or share of it. Um, I was I was impressed by Tennessee because Tennessee had kind of hit the skids um, with that loss to Kentucky. They lost to LSU. They not really had a signature conference win against the two best teams in the conference, and now they have one. An emphatic win. The game was over very quickly in the first half, probably about five minutes mm-hmm. ago in the game. You didn't really think Kentucky had a shot. So credit to 
Tennessee and obviously Kentucky on the other side playing without one of their best players and just, you know, an awful offensive game. So they'll just probably write that off and move on. So, yeah. Yeah, Kentucky dropped below 25% chance to win with about five minutes to go in the first half when it was still 23-18. to 18 in a, like, It was a brick fest in, in this, the first sec, second part of that first half. And then by the time we got to uh, the 16-minute mark, it was a, a 20-point lead for um, the mark of the second half is 20-point lead for Tennessee, and they pretty much held that the rest of the way. Um, P.J. Washington, I, I think we underrated, I'll say for myself, uh, underrated the loss of Reed Travis uh, and how he affected Kentucky in this game. Uh, Tennessee got destroyed on the offensive glass and down low with two-pointers in the first game. But in this game, Kentucky only rebounded 24% of their misses, which is below national average and especially below Kentucky's average, and they only made 36%, 36% of their two-pointers. Um and P.J. Washington with the knives the best game. He did get nine free throws and 13 attempts, um, but otherwise was the leading scorer with 13 points, but mostly une- uh, ineffective. The Tennessee backcourt is a little bit underrated. People really get excited about Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams, and those are two awesome players. But Jordan Bone and Lamonte Turner are uh, an excellent backcourt, uh, and we saw it here today, especially in, on Saturday with Jordan Bone um, in the five for five from three-point land. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, it looks like I'm trying, trying to debate who I think is most likely to win the title out of Tennessee and Kentucky. Entering this game, and I think it speaks to this as well, is the number one seed debate. Um, you know, Duke obviously has had some struggles uh, of late without Zion. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Virginia and Gonzaga are clear number ones, and Duke probably still there um, despite the losses uh, without Zion. The fourth number one seed was fairly consensus to be Kentucky entering this game. Um, but now with Kentucky's loss, and also Michigan State was probably the next team in that list, and they lost a, a worse game at Indiana, although a closer game. You know, and then North Carolina and Tennessee um, are they, and Michigan with the big win at um, at Maryland. Uh, those were the that, that's those are the two seeds right now in the bracket matrix: Michigan State, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Michigan. And then you could drop drop down to Houston and Purdue. Uh, Houston had the loss to U at UCF this weekend at home, so I'm sure that they're not really in contention for number one seed anymore. And Purdue has a lot of losses. I don't think they're really in contention for number one seed, but um, but you never know. So I think the the one seed, the last one seed, gets a little bit murkier with Kentucky's loss. Um, and North Carolina and Tennessee will have very good cases, at least if it were picked today. It's obviously a lot that could happen between yeah, now there's and plenty that can happen. North Carolina is a very big home game against Duke next Saturday. If they sweep Duke and make the final of the ACC tournament, there's a very good chance I think they'll be number one seed um, mm-hmm. if or win the ACC tournament. So. Uh, Michigan State trending in the wrong direction. Tennessee, again, so much depends on what happens these last few weeks and the conference tournaments. But mm-hmm. I definitely, I, if I were drafting one of those two seeds, which one's most likely to be a number one seed, I would take North Carolina right now. Which is a great uh, segue into talking yes. about the ACC and what yeah. happened. Um, you know, we're professionals. Um, <laughs> North Carolina went to Clemson and won by only two, 81-79 on Saturday. Um, they had a very good offensive last quarter of the game. Uh, at one point, they were trailing um, by six points in the second half, but uh, ultimately, uh, North Carolina's pace, and it, I mean, their offense only scored 1.08 points per possession. That's one of the, the uh, kind of deceiving things about North Carolina. They play so fast. They're actually, their offense, which seems really good this year, you look at Cameron Johnson, Kobe White, and Luke May, but it's, and it is good, but it's not as good as it seems with the number of points that they score. In this game, really, the defense was quite good. Um, they... Uh, they really held Clemson down on uh, three-point shots. Um, they didn't allow many offensive rebounds. And um, and ultimately, we saw Kobe White score 28 points. And he's 
been one of the surprise. I mean, he was a five-star freshman, but he's been amazing for North Carolina. And in credit to um, Roy Williams for giving him the chance to uh, to shine. Uh, the thing about Clemson, and this is interesting. It'll be interesting to selection for our bubble uh, draft. They are seventeen and twelve overall, and seven and nine in conference. If you look at their twelve losses, here are the margins of their twelve losses: five, two, eleven, nineteen, eight, twenty. 9-2-1-1-13-2. So they have, um, they had a two-point loss at home against North Carolina just now, a one-point loss at Louisville, a one-point loss at Miami, a two-point loss at North Carolina State, um, and early in the season they had a, a two-point loss at home to Nebraska, uh, not to mention a five-point loss in neutral court to Creighton. Um, so this is a team that is a good team, number 30 in Ken Palm, um, and in conference, uh, they're actually outscoring opponents by three points per 100 possessions with the number two defense in the league, but they're only seven and nine in the league. Um, they do have winnable last couple of games. They are at Notre Dame and home against uh, Syracuse, but um, without that many high quality wins overall. Yeah, they're the one. Only, I think yeah. they're one and eleven in eight games this year, and they, yeah. that one win was beating Virginia Tech without Justin Robinson. So yeah. I think it might have been the first game without Justin Robinson, or one of the first games without him. They're kind of like Justin. the Auburn of the uh, ACC. Yeah, I mean, ended with no great wins, really. I feel like Clemson, just in general, is the Auburn in the ACC too. It's like kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, kind of football school. Although I guess every school in the ACC is a football school. Um, whereas Auburn's like kind of also in the middle of nowhere. Um, they're orange. What kind of orangey schools? Uh, I feel like there's a uh, you could do a whole show on analogs between conferences, but I think Clemson and Auburn in general is a good analog, and this year in particular is a good analog. Yeah, Roy Williams. Um, it's about North Carolina though. He, he suffered from vertigo. He fainted and left the game in the first half. Did not return. Then he said he wasn't going to croak on anybody. He said he's all fine. It's it's just vertigo. But again, another vertigo instance with Roy Williams. It's a little troubling, but he should be fine. I think the first time I ever heard of Vertigo being a real thing, I'd heard of the movie, but I remember Nick Asaski was a baseball player for the Reds and the Red Sox, and then eventually went to the Braves, and his career ended very abruptly because of Vertigo. Um, so it's, it's quite a serious uh, ailment, and um, it's, it becomes kind of um, uh, relapsing, I guess you would say, um, in, when pe- in people that have it. Um, I do want to talk about Virginia Tech a little bit, and maybe Florida State. First of all, Florida State beat North Carolina State. Um, a five-point win at home, nothing that remarkable about that. But Florida State now 10-1 and one, um, since January 20th, which is when they lost a bad loss at Boston College. The only loss was at North Carolina in that stretch. Um, they're now 11-5 and five in the ACC and looking very likely to finish in the top five at the very least. Um, and North Carolina State is a team that, if the RPI existed, they would be in the high 80s. And maybe even, uh, that was entering the Florida State game. Uh, they're now 8-8 eight and eight in conference. Um, they have, they do have three A wins, neutral against Penn State. And again, the Penn State win in the net might not be as good because Penn State's record is much worse than its Ken Palm. They also have a home win against Auburn, which uh, is looking not as good as it was at the time. And they also won at Miami. But the win at Miami was January 3rd. I remember watching that game and being impressed. They were 13-1 and at the time, and they're 7-8 and in their last 15 games. They do have a fairly soft schedule to finish, home against Georgia Tech and at Boston College. If they win those games, I think they should be pretty safe. Uh, they they have, are benefiting from one of the softer conference schedules in the ACC uh, under Kevin Keith's second season. Um, I did, did want to touch on Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, uh, they beat Duke on Tuesday. That game seems like a long time ago. They won by five. 
Uh, Zion Williamson did not play in that game, and Duke's defense was terrible without him. Um, Virginia Tech's offense is good, and Kerry Blackshear has been ridiculously good, especially since um, Justin Robinson went down. He's their one true big man. He had 23 points, 10 rebounds, um, and was uh, very efficient from the field. Uh, Duke, again, giving up a lot of easy twos. 15 of 24 on two-pointers for Virginia Tech was. Um, they took 26 three-pointers, which makes you wonder why so many three-pointers when they were so effective inside. But they were effective nonetheless, and Justin Robinson missing this game again. So I, I think that's one thing I want to point out. I was thinking about it today on my run is, you know, people are like, oh, well, Zion's out. It's not going to hurt Duke too much. But they lost Virginia Tech without Virginia Tech's best player, arguably, in Justin Robinson. So should that not be, like, a factor that they – that the team they were playing also was without arguably their best player? Of course it should be a factor. So this is an interesting discussion because Duke's player that they're without is obviously better than Virginia Tech's player that they're without. But you could also argue that Duke's supporting cast with all those McDonald's All-American with Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, you know, Trey Jones, that they should be able to overcome it more because they have more resources and they're a better team. Yet they go out and play terrible defense. They think they have their worst Oh no! Second worst offense, uh, uh, sorry, defensive efficiency of the season behind only the Gonzaga loss. They allow 1.21 points per possession against Virginia Tech on the road. And so, yeah, it's an excuse that Zion's not out. But you, Coach K, better start working on defense without Zion because they didn't look too good against North Carolina uh, down low. North Carolina, not a very good team in the paint, and um, they just exploited Duke there uh, relative to North Carolina's other strengths. And then. The same thing happened with uh, Virginia Tech on Tuesday. And so Zion, if he comes back, he's going to probably be on a minutes restriction to start. He could be not as effective. He could pick up fouls. And Duke's defense looks totally different without him on the court. And I think that's a major problem for Duke. That and obviously their three-point shooting, which people have talked about a lot this week. Yeah. Uh, um, we'll move on from this in a second. But you know, a couple weeks ago, I was very optimistic about Duke. I mean, I mean, optimistic about the best team in the country. It seems kind of strange to say, but I, I thought that the way they played together as a team, you know, like each other, especially after that Louisville win and the second Virginia win, um, their faults and flaws that they had, obviously, they were masking with athleticism. But the problem is, and then, so the, the the upside is, well, if they really kind of focus in and like learn better defensive kind of rotations and focus better on defense, then it's going to be really hard to score against them, and that along with their offense should be fine. But then when you take off that, when you like expose the weakness, then suddenly, oh, the rotations mean that they actually have a lot of easy baskets, one, and if they don't have uh, someone to athletically like kind of make up for it in Zion, it's a problem. And even if Zion comes back, can he always do that? Is he always going to be able to like make up for those mistakes for his teammates? And then on offense... You know, they don't run a lot of offense. They don't get a lot of easy stuff because they kind of let the guys play. And so in a, against a set of teams, and you figure at least the last three con- games in the NCAA tournament will be against very good teams who are very well coached, that preparing for the single game three times against teams that might be able to figure out some way to slow down just the uh, kind of a, the unimaginative but highly effective offense that Duke runs, you could and without and then without the three-point option and three-point shot, it does make them, it feels that they're vulnerable, um, even with Zion. Now, when Zion comes back, they become instantly still like, probably the best team in the country, but they do seem like, okay, Zion was covering up maybe more weaknesses than we even thought at the time. Yeah, Zion's stock, which was already high, has gone up since he's left the uh, team with the injury. So we'll see. Coach K has been a little coy about when he's going to come back. They have two games this week, Wake Forest at home. That's a slam dunk win for Duke and then at North Carolina a game they are projected to win by just one point on Ken Palm 
Uh, so we'll see what happens. But Duke is still the favorite to win the NCAA tournament, but there's definitely some major question marks uh, about them. And I think we'll see if a team really wants to just pack it inside and say, you want to beat us, you'll shoot us. You'll outshoot us. You'll shoot from the outside and just roll the dice and play the lottery. Because they are right now 326 in the country in three-point shooting and fourth in the country in two-point shooting. So quite a difference. And they're worse in conference play, barely, but they haven't improved in, in conference play on three-point shooting. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we get to our bubble draft is the Big 12. Kansas's streak is definitely in jeopardy. Uh, they are one game behind both Kansas State and Texas Tech with two games left for each team. Kansas State did ha- – sorry, Kansas did have a much-needed two-win week. They beat Kansas State at home, and then they – went to Stillwater, Oklahoma against that very strange Oklahoma State team, and it placed Kansas at trouble, uh, and they beat Oklahoma State in a very close game, and basically Oklahoma State, which has the best three-point shooting team in the conference, uh, got a wide-open three to tie the game because of a failed miscommunication between, I believe it was Dotson and Abaji on the perimeter, but the shot was missed, and Kansas won that game. So now they're one game back of Kansas State, uh, the remaining schedule is Kansas is at Oklahoma and home to Baylor. Texas Tech, who smoked TCU on Saturday, is home to Texas at Iowa State. And then Kansas State um, is home to TCU and at Oklahoma. They uh, Kansas State beat Baylor at home this week. And so really, I think one of those two teams will probably win both those games. So Kansas would then not win the Big 12 title. Kansas itself does not have an easy schedule at Oklahoma and on the road, it's going to be basically a coin flip game. So this could be the end. Brendan, I want some. I want a pick from you. Will Kansas finish in a tie for the Big 12 title? And what are their chances of doing so? Or, they could still win it outright, by the way. Could. They could. Um, you know, uh, Ken Palm projects all three of those teams to go one and one, um, which is almost going to be the case in any two-game stretch in the Big 12. Um, and none of the teams play the two worst teams in the conference. They don't, no one plays West Virginia, no one plays Oklahoma State. Two of them do play Oklahoma, who has been struggling of late. Uh, Kansas State finishes with them at home, and um, Kansas at Oklahoma on Tuesday. Uh, t- Texas Tech, I, th- I think Kansas State was going to lose one of these games. At TCU, home against Oklahoma, I think they'll lose one of those games. Texas Tech is the question mark. Home against Texas, a team that just destroyed Iowa State, and then at Iowa State. Uh and, and then the question becomes, will Kansas win both at Oklahoma and home against Baylor? I am, I'm going to say that uh, oh, Kansas wins both and that K-State, Texas Tech both split so that it'll be a three-way tie at 13-5 and five and Kansas' wow. streak continues. Wow. Just to go through Texas Tech, because they since, lost, since they lost to Kansas at Kansas on February 2nd, uh, they have won seven straight games, including a 31-point win, a 12-point win, a 28-point win, a 25-point win, a 29-point win over Kansas. Then they had a four-point game against Oklahoma State that was really a flurry of threes late by Oklahoma State. The game wasn't that close. It went to overtime because of ridiculous threes by OK State. So that was a close game. And they won by 25 over uh, TCU. Uh, excuse me, 15 by TCU over TCU on Saturday. So they really have been blowing everybody out with the exception of the Oklahoma State game. So they are one of the hottest teams in the country. Their defense, we know, is outstanding. Their offense has been picking up. Uh, so, and Texas is one of the weirdest teams in the country, and Iowa State also inconsistent. So, I just want to point out how good Texas Tech has been over the balance of uh, play since the start of February. 
Yeah, I think I've been one of the higher people at this tech most of the season, and it didn't feel so good when they couldn't score at all in a stretch um, in late January, and then they bounced back a little bit against TCU, and then were just throttled by Kansas. But since that game, um, again, the schedule has been a little bit soft, relatively speaking. Their toughest game in that stretch is probably home to Kansas or at TCU, maybe. Um, and so the schedule has been a little bit friendly. Their schedule is a little bit front-loaded, but it's a Big 12 schedule, so it can only be so friendly. And, right. and they've won every single game. Um, and their offense, I think the key is their offense has been decent. Like Their offense for the season in the Big 12 is fourth. They're scoring 1.07 points per possession. If you look game by game in this stretch, they went 1.08, 1 1.00, 1.27, 1.29, 1.48, 1.10, 1.25. Um, and so their offense has is, is been consistently excellent, really, the last five games of this stretch. Um, and so if, that, if they can play this kind of offense moving forward, then, I mean, they don't have a weakness, and they become actually a Final Four threat. Um, and not just a Big 12 championship threat, which, you know, even the Big 12 championship, you're, you're a final th four threat, let's face it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, their offense has been much uh, better, and their defense is scary. Yeah, and this is a team that was projected to pin and finish. We know we've talked about this, but at the bottom, or if not the bottom seventh, of the— I think. Seventh, yeah. okay. Chris Beard's done a great job. He should be coach of the year in the Big 12, and he will be probably. Yeah, seven, seventh coming off an Elite Eight uh, appearance. Um, obviously, they lost uh, a lot of good players from last year's team. I don't want to— um, you know, they've Zaire Smith, Keenan Evans, um, Niam Stevenson. I think it's Niam and not Niam, but um, Justin Gray. They lost a lot of good players, but they we didn't know about most of these guys entering last season, like Jared Culver and Zaire Smith. And so, yet again, they've. Well, I mean, they had transfers, two transfers, and Tariq Owens from uh, St. John's, um, and then Matt Mooney, who came over from South Dakota uh, when Craig Smith left for Utah State, which you mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm going to move on to the Big East, which uh, had a pretty bad Sunday. Um, if you're if you're trying to think, I mean, obviously they played each other. As bad as it was for one team, it was as good as for the other team in theory. But um, St. John's entered the week at uh, eight and seven in conference with a home game against Xavier and then a road game against DePaul, and they lost them both by a combined twenty points. So suddenly St. John's, uh, which you know everyone's been telling me they're the most talented team in the conference, which I still think Villanova and Marquette are probably more talented, but everyone just assumes they're the most talented team in the conference. They're not well coached. They're not a good team. They're 67th in Ken Palm. They may not make the NCAA tournament now, which is which would be absurd. Then we have um, Marquette, who was one of the hottest teams in college basketball. They had only had one loss since January 1st. They lost twice to St. John's, ironically. Um, and then this week they lost at Villanova, including a stretch where they didn't score a point, in, uh, didn't score a field goal in five minutes to end the game. Uh, and and they were up, they were looking good. They were up uh, 60 to 55 with five minutes left, and they were outscored 12-1 uh, to finish the game. Not good. Not good. Um, not good. Um, and then today they hosted Creighton, a team that had actually been struggling a lot, uh, but has put it together the last week or so, and they lost at home by six to a Creighton team that's fighting for the NCAA, their NCAA tournament lives. Um, and so those are two bad results for the Big East when you're trying to get good seeds and good um, and then enough bids. Um, Butler lost again. They've lost twice. We, we, we talked about them losing to Providence at home, which probably close to eliminates them from the NCAA tournament, and then they got blown out by Villanova. Villanova has obviously bounced back with two wins, and they now are in a position again to win the Big East uh, Conference, although last year uh, Xavier, you remember, won the Big East outright. Villanova is now 13-4, and, and Marquette is 12-4. And, 
Villanova's only remaining game in the conference season is at Seton Hall. Uh, Marquette has two games left. They are at Seton Hall also on Wednesday, and then they host Georgetown to finish the season. Um, so the Big East bids are taking hits here on uh, with uh, Marquette with those lo- um, losses. Uh, in terms of the sorry, seeds are taking hits, and then their bids are taking hits with St. John's losing. You look at the Big East projected standings, and there's only two teams with winning records projected Villanova and Marquette, and then you have two te- three teams had to go nine and nine, and that is Xavier and Georgetown, both of whom had kind of weak non-conference schedules and don't really figure to be on the bubble right now, or at least like not in the field. And then Creighton, who's seven and nine with a tough non-conference schedule, ranked twenty, ranked thirty-sixth by Ken Palm. And favored to win its final two games against Providence and DePaul at home. They also have that win I mentioned earlier against um, against Clemson, um, and they already have A wins now at Marquette. They're their best win of the season just today, um, and they don't have any bad losses except for, well, you could consider whether you think home to St. John's or home to Seton Hall is a bad loss. Uh, so. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. They still might get four bids in, and you. And then you look at uh, Seton Hall. Seton Hall lost at Georgetown yesterday in double overtime. They've lost three in a row. So what's now the seven and nine? What's the worst case scenario for the Big East? Could they get just two, just Villanova Marquette, like with St. John's dropping, Seton Hall right on the twelve line. St. John's has lost two in a row. Seton Hall has lost three in a row. And and right now those teams are both in the field in the bracket matrix and not really probably factoring in these two these losses this weekend, the one to Georgetown for Seton Hall and the one to DePaul by St. John's. And then you have, um, in the others receiving votes, you have Butler, who just lost again to Villanova, and Georgetown, who won at home against Seton Hall. Um, if you go to Bart Torvik, bartorvik.com, he has this thing called T-Rankatology, and it's kind of basically like a, a – uh, programmatic way to just rank teams for the NCAA tournament. Um, if you look at the Big East here, you can see that entering today, is this entering today? Um, it's, it might actually, let me refresh it because I think it updates maybe in real time pretty much. Yeah, so now with, I think it, it actually does count the Marquette game. It might count it. They have Marquette as the lowest four seed, Villanova as the number two six seed, and then they have St. John's as the worst 11 seed, one of the last four in, and then Seton Hall as the last team in the tournament. And then you go to the other side of the bubble. It has Creighton as the second-to-last team out. Georgetown is the seventh-to-last team out. Xavier is up to 14th-to-last out. And then Providence is 21st-to-last out, and Butler is 23rd-to-last out. Which so that's like really not in contention, but um, in theory, if those teams won their remaining uh, conference games and then maybe went to the Big East tournament final, they could get in. So you're looking at two secure teams, and then you're looking at really four teams if you count Creighton and Georgetown as being about 50-50 to make the NCAA tournament. Um, right now, he has St. John's as 52%. Uh, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, I think the odds that they get only two teams are small because if those teams, St. John's and Seton Hall, fall out, someone in the Big East is probably going to have done something to help its resume either through the last two games of the regular season or in the conference tournament. So two teams really seems unlikely, um, but the seed suffering for those two teams seems likely, Virginia and um, Marquette. I started Villanova and Marquette, and yeah, I wouldn't feel super comfortable if I were St. John's right now. Yeah, and Seton Hall, they do have chances. They have Marquette and Villanova at home this week, so uh, they don't have an excuse. They have opportunities despite losing three straight. Um, Seton Hall has really struggled uh, of late uh, on offense. They're ninth in the conference in offense. They're the only team in the Big East that's better than Providence on offense, which um, they're still much better than Providence on offense, like four points per 100 possessions better. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's – 
we already touched a little bit on Kansas, and we already touched a little bit on Providence, so I don't want to spend too much time in the No Homers Club. But I do. I did have a trivia question for you, Tom. Uh oh. Yeah, it's a tough one, but uh, it's a team that we mentioned on the podcast last week. Okay. And it's a team that has currently 18 wins, and that's important for for a reason. Last week, Colgate out of the Patriot League became the second to last team, uh, original Division One team, um, to win 20 games in a season. Now, every original Division One team has won 20 games in a season, except for one team. So can you name this team, which has two more games left this season, plus potential conference tournament, et cetera, has 18 wins and is the only Division One team that's been around from the beginning that doesn't have a 20-win season? Hmm. You can ask some yes or no questions if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Is it um? It's not obviously. No, hold on, let me think here. Uh, when was the original Division One? I? I don't know. In the thirties, maybe. Mm. That's some information I probably should have. By had. the way, a lot of teams have eighteen wins. Oh, is that what you were looking at? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, let's make it easy. Nine thirty nine was the was the first NCAA tournament, so right. um, it's whatever the same. You know what they say? That the original Division One teams that have made never made the NCAA tournament, and like Army and like St. Francis of Brooklyn are the two. Yeah. Like it's the same kind of stat. Like this team has made the NCAA tournament, but they've never had a twenty one season. Uh, hmm. Great question. We mentioned on the pod last week. You said you mentioned on the pod last week um, because they're having one of their best seasons in a while. Um, yeah, they have not had a winning conference season since uh, 2008-2007-08. I'm just looking wow. at the 18-win I, I cheated by looking at the 18-win team. So I'm going to say, uh, let's go with South Florida. Not correct. Though South Florida, um, they are one of the biggest risers this year uh, yeah. under Brian Gregory, the, uh, the, the Dayton, former Dayton coach. Uh, yeah, so I don't know the answer. I got my one guess by cheating. San Diego? No. Oh, I did see him in person, obviously, last, uh, this yeah. week. The answer is Brown. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I wonder you brought it up in this segment because they, they lost to Columbia this weekend. Big, yeah, they, yeah. The rare uh, sweep of a Ivy weekend by the Columbia Lions, including Yale. Yeah, that wow, that, that is surprising. Result. Yeah. Columbia is still theoretically in it for the last spot in the conference tournament, though really it's between Brown and... Penn and Cornell, Brown six and six. Penn five and eleven. Cornell is five and eleven. Sorry, five and seven. They're both five and seven. Brown goes to Penn and Princeton this week, which means Penn hosts Brown and Yale. Uh, Cornell will host Harvard and Dartmouth. Um, Yale is nine and three. Harvard's nine and three. Princeton's eight and four. Those three will be in the uh, the the Ivy League four team tournament. Uh, Dartmouth is two and ten. That team will not be there. Uh, and I guess there are there's a theoretical chance that Columbia could make it if. The results, they have to basically have Penn beat Brown, but lose to Yale. Brown lose to Princeton, and Cornell at no, no, do no better than split. I think Cornell's playing Dartmouth, so they'd have to lose to Dartmouth, obviously. Uh, sorry, uh, Cornell's playing Dartmouth. It's not related to Columbia. but So, yeah. Um, yeah anyway. Uh, Cornell would play Harvard and Dartmouth in the yeah. reverse order of Columbia playing Dartmouth and Harvard. But, hey, yeah. two big wins for Columbia on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sweeping an Ivy road trip is not something they do that often. They've won three of the last four after starting the season one and seven in the Ivy League. So, yeah. Speaking them. of uh, turnarounds, uh, 
Northwestern, after starting three and five and six and one overall, three and five in conference, is now three and fourteen in conference. They lost their ninth straight game, a twelve point home loss to Minnesota, which is, you know, you lose nine straight, there's gonna be a lot of bad performances. But losing by 12 at home to a mediocre Minnesota team is probably uh, right up there. Um, Minnesota had just lost consecutive games. Um, you know, they lost to Rutgers at home in this stretch, too. It's like, can you, let's rank how, what are the worst losses of the stretch? Is it losing to 0-10 Penn State at home <laughs> no. by 7? Well, no, because Penn State then went on, and they've actually, they're probably better than many teams in the NCAA tournament. They went from 0-10, they're now 5-13. and They barely lost at Wisconsin after uh, they were actually in it or slash leading for much of that game. At one point in that game, let's let me take a look at this. They were up um, fifty. They were fifty-three, fifty-three tied, and they were also up at one point thirty-five, twenty-eight in the second half. Um, yeah, so Northwestern, uh, it, they're playing Illinois tonight at Illinois. Odds of me watching that game are not very high. Let's put it that way. Um, they are also still dead last in the Big Ten in offense. Uh, Providence, I just mentioned, they are have an outside shot at the NCAA tournament still, I guess, which is weird because they're six and ten in conference. They play at Creighton and then home against uh, Butler. Creighton obviously just had that big win, and they've won three in a row. Uh, the Friars went to Butler, as I mentioned, and played quite well um, in uh, knocking off the, the Bulldogs, who have now – Butler's now lost three straight, and they're in, they're in rough shape. But Providence won by six in overtime. And uh, Nate Watson, who's been a sophomore breakout star for them, he was their MVP, scoring 21 points with five rebounds. He's a big man uh, who's really good post moves. Uh, good post finisher, and he has now scored double digits in six straight games, including 21 points in each of their last two wins. Um, do you have anything, any points on Kansas before we move on to our bubble draft? Uh, no, just it would be nice to get LeGerald Vick back, and it was nice to also get uh, Garrett playing again. He's been brought back to the team after some injuries. He's been playing okay. Not quite the offensive threat he was earlier in the year, but uh, it is what it is. But they, they're squeaking out some wins, and if any team can pull a Houdini act and win a 15th straight Big 12 title, it's this Kansas team, but uh, with Bill Self. But they have some holes. Um, we'll just, I just hope they can make it interesting and put the pressure on by winning their last two games of the regular season. Yeah, I, I'm predicting it. Kansas is yeah. going to find a way to win 15 straight. You're on the record. Yeah. Okay, what's this draft? So we have a list of 40 teams here. About half of them will get in the NCAA tournament. We basically put every team that's a nine seed or worse in the bracket matrix plus uh, if they're in one-bid leagues but a 12-seed or better, plus anyone getting in a bracket that's an at-large team, plus I went to the Bartorvik site and kind of put in the top 20 teams there. So we, we, we had basically every bubble team possible. Um, and just so you know, the 9 and 10 seeds in bracket matrix, in case you don't know what, what the bubble teams are there, Syracuse, Ohio State, St. John's, and Florida are the 9 seeds entering yesterday. Um, and then the 10 seeds are Oklahoma, VCU, which is considered the uh, automatic bid from the Atlantic 10, NC State, and Texas. So um, the first few picks should be fairly obvious, but we're, let's go through it quickly, and you can maybe have a comment on a team if you like. And, Tom, you get first. I'll get next two, and we'll go from there. Cool. I'll take Ohio State with the first pick. They started off so well. They had some big wins early on. Um, they, have some, uh, they haven't had so many great wins in conference, but I think that their start to the season uh, playing – a tough schedule um, in the Big Ten. Obviously, terrible schedule outside the Big Ten. But I think their wins early on, Cincinnati, Creighton, will stick out on the resume, and I think they'll be okay. And I think they'll get to um, right around five, a little under 500 in the Big Ten, which should be enough. And the bubble is not that strong this year, which we I feel like we say every year, but I'm going Ohio State. I'm going to go with a team who's one of their best wins is, is at Ohio State, and that's Syracuse. 
Uh, Syracuse is 21 and 10 and 10 and 6 in conference. So that's considering the resumes of a lot of these bubble teams, that's like uh, amazing. Um, so I'm going to go with the Orange as my first pick. The, um, they did beat Wake Forest over the weekend uh, by 25, and they, they have a couple tough games, homing in Virginia and at Clemson. In theory, if they beat Vir- lose to Virginia at home or lose at Clemson and lose their first NCAA tur- uh, big ACC tournament game, they could be in trouble. But I think that that's uh, – even if they lose all those games, I think that's probably still going to get in. Oh, this next pick's a little tricky because St. John's and Florida both had bad losses this weekend. St. Uh, John's lost to DePaul. Florida lost to Georgia. Oklahoma has a really bad conference record. Uh, Texas had a big win over Iowa State. Um, let me just check on one team before I pick them. Um, yeah, so there's a so I mentioned VCU. Uh, I just kind of want to see what kind of wins VCU has. So VCU has a win at Texas and a win at Dayton. So if I'm picking between and they're they've also won ten straight. So I'm gonna. But then if they lose these games coming up, then they might have a further to fall like than Texas. Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with uh, VCU. That's my other pick. And then now you have two picks. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna take Florida just because I think they're gonna have a shot either this in their finish to their season, which is LSU and Kentucky, to bag a huge win. Um, so their resume has put them on the nine line right now. They have been playing very well until they lost to George at home. They've already beaten LSU once. Um, they won at Alabama earlier in February, so they've been playing okay. They've had a, um, they're just a really frustrating team, uh, for their fans, I'm sure. Um, they have a very pretty good non-conference schedule, 38th in the country, so I don't think they're going to be penalized too much there. Um, so give me Florida there. And then the next one I will take, debating between a couple. Um, I think I will take Texas. I think the, the, the numbers, the metrics like them, I think the net will... Have no problem with them um, when all is said and done. And Texas, again, another team playing in a tough conference, could do some damage in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, they have two uh, resume-boosting w- win opportunities: Texas Tech at home, or sorry, on the road on Monday, and then at TCU to finish the season. They're going to go nine and nine according to Ken Palm in the Big 12. That's a pretty uh, good, um, uh, pretty good record. They beat North Carolina back in November, um, so they've. Yeah, they have some wins in the conference, so yeah, I'll take them. I'm going to go with uh, my first pick will be Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida, UCF, whatever you want to refer to them, um, they uh, coached by Johnny Dawkins. Um, they had a big win at Houston, one of the best wins a team has had probably this season. Like There aren't going to be a lot better wins than winning at Houston. Uh, they're now 22-6, and 12-4 in the AAC. Uh, clearly the number three team in that conference behind Houston and, and Cincinnati. Uh, they do have two more tricky games, but also chances to get quality wins. They host Cincinnati and then go to Temple to finish out the regular season. They're third in the uh, AAC in offense. They're third in the AAC in defense. And it's mainly behind, everyone's heard of Taco Fall, who's a kind of the huge anchor of their um, matchup zone in the middle. Um, and he's number one in the country in effective field, field percentage at 75%. But really they're, their man is B.J. Taylor, uh, a 6'2 um, guard. And then Aubrey Dawkins, who is the son of Johnny Dawkins, who is a transfer from Michigan. Uh, so I'm going to go with UCF for the first pick. For my second pick, I'm going to go with... Oh, man. I'm going to go with uh, Utah State. 
So maybe a bit of a risky pick there. Uh, I'm p- picking teams that are, have won this weekend. So just because I know Brackenmere is not updated for this weekend. They beat Nevada. We talked about them already in this uh, podcast. I'm not going to spend much more time in them, but I'll pick the Utah State as my fourth pick. Cool. Um, let's see here. Who do we have left here? Uh, St. John's is on the eligible list. I think they'll still get into the tournament. I think they'll. So just, yeah, we talked about them a lot. I know you don't think they're very good, but I think they've done enough to get in. Um, so that's them. And now, can I go crazy here? I was going to take, by the way, Utah State. So good pick there for you. Or we're both terrible. Um, and then the last one. Let's see what we got here. Uh, I'm going to take Clemson, actually. Okay. All those cloth losses, maybe they're, um, yeah. they'll get a benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. In theory, just so you know, if you're listening, the first nine rounds, so first 18 teams would be in the field today if we got them all right, basically. They're about... I think there are about 18 spots if I count correctly. I might have said 20 earlier, but basically there's all the 9 seeds, all the 10 seeds, all the 11 seeds, all the 12 seeds, that's 16, plus the two play-in games for at-larges. So there should be 18 teams. Of course, you know, for instance, if we pick VCU and then, you know, they lose an 8 10 tournament, but they make the tournament, then that would actually knock out one of those spots. But basically the first nine rounds will be teams that are we think are, should make the tournament, and the next three rounds, the last three rounds, will be the teams that we think are um, are the most likely teams not in the tournament. So, okay, so that means I have to pick a few, two teams here. Um, I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take. Uh, let me just check one thing before I take one of these teams. Uh, I'm gonna take um, Alabama. I'm taking Alabama. Uh, Alabama is 17 and 12. They're eight and eight in conference. They just lost to LSU. They finish up home to Auburn at Arkansas. Two winnable games for Avery Johnson's team. And I think that if they do win both those games, they should be in. Even at nine and nine, they probably have a good chance. It seems weird to be like 18 and 13, nine and nine, so there's a good chance. But that's kind of where we are right now. So I'm taking Alabama. Um, and then with my other pick, I am going to take. It's very stressful, Brendan. It's very stressful. Um, I'm going to take TCU. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good about it. If you don't feel good I'm about t- it, leave it. I'll take them. Okay. Uh, no, I'll <laughs> take them. I don't feel good about it, but I'm taking TCU. Um, good offensive team. They should be able to maybe steal one of these last two games of the season. They play home to Kansas State at Texas. If they can split those games, they'll be 7-11 and 11 in conference. Oof. Um, with the 184th non-conference schedule in the country, oof! But they wow. they do have they do have wins at Iowa State. They swept to Iowa State actually, and they already beat Texas at home. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Let's get crazy. Oklahoma, another team in the Big 12. Some of these Big 12 teams are going to make the tournament. So, Oklahoma, uh, they did beat TCU in Texas before losing to Iowa State on Monday. Uh, they just beat West Virginia. They have Kansas, Kansas State. I think win one of those two games, they'll be very good about, feel very good about themselves. Ken Palm has them projected to win one of them, although they're dogs in both. So they started off the season really well, 11-1. and one. Since then, they have been not great, 6-10. Uh, and 10. But it's a tough conference, and, again, some of these teams have to go in from the Big 12. So I'm taking Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And then with my other pick, I will be taking... Minnesota, a Big 12, a Big Ten team that I feel like is going to be one of those teams that people ask 
how did Minnesota get in the NCAA tournament? But I think they've had again the Big Ten. These teams, are, some of these teams are going to have to get in. Minnesota. Let's see what their best wins are here. They beat Northwestern on the road, Wisconsin on the road back at the beginning of January. Um, all their losses are a losses. They beat Washington. They, they lost Washington, it. Yeah. They, they beat Washington by. Yeah, back by in two. November. Yeah. I don't think they have a. They have. Of their. 11 losses, it looks like 10 of them are A losses. Is that right? And the other one's at Boston College yeah, in so, the Big Ten ACC. Yeah, College. so, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, so, in theory, there's five more NCAA tournament teams that are still eligible to be picked. Uh, I'm taking Belmont. So, they have a chance to double dip here because they might make uh, that large bid, but they also might win the conference tournament. Um, uh, they are the best team in their conference. So, they should win their conference tournament out of the Ohio Valley. But uh, Murray State's also in that conference, which is, makes it a little bit trickier. Um, so Belmont this year has wins at Lipscomb. They also won at – they actually beat Lipscomb twice, home and away, and won at UCLA, and won at Murray State. They haven't lost a game since January 17th. If they do go to the conference tournament final and lose, they'll be 27-5. and five. Um, and of their five losses, they do have that bad loss to Green Bay and to Jacksonville State. They're, twice they lost Jacksonville State, and they will have also lost to um, Purdue. So um, we'll see. But I'm going to go with Belmont, Rick Bird. Show, show me it. Oh, my, I have one more pick. Yeah, okay. you have one more Jeez. pick. Yeah. Uh, Which is Brennan's idea, by the um, way, this, this segment. Yeah. yeah. G chatted me about when I was not on G chat, so I found out about it about five minutes before we went on the quote unquote air. So, well, people yeah. want to know what we think about the bubble teams. No, totally. Um, Just text me yeah. next time. I don't. I don't have G Chat on my phone. I don't have Hangouts on my phone. Why don't you have G Chat on your phone? What's up I, with that, man? I want to be detached from G Chat. I want you want to. You know how to get in touch with me. You text me or email okay, me. Well, that, well, now I know. Okay, yeah, now yeah. I know. So I'm going to take with my next pick. Um, oh man, I'm going to take North Carolina State. Uh, I don't like it. First team ever to score 24 points in a game and make the NCAA tournament. <laughs> uh, they, they have a really bad uh, com- non-conference schedule. They don't have very many good wins, but they do have two easy w- games to finish the season in theory, and they would then be 10-8 and in the ACC. If they go 10-8 in the ACC with 22 wins, I think it's going to be hard to keep them out, and their net is pretty good. So I'm going to go with NC State. I'm going to go with Arizona State next because I don't think that the Pac-12, even though it should be a one-bid league, is going to end up being a one-bid league. Uh, Arizona State beat Kansas. Um, where did their schedule go? I just had it. Um, they beat Kansas, which is going to count for something, uh, even though Kansas has obviously fallen off since that game. Um, they also beat uh, Mississippi beat. State and Utah State, two teams that we both think are going to the tournament. Um, and they have some bad losses in the Pac-12, but that's what happened. So... Yeah, and they have Oregon State on the road and Arizona on the road. To they beat Washington at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Don't hate yeah. that pick. They and play then, Oregon State tonight, so. Oh, yeah. And then next one I will go with is Seton Hall. I think they've done enough, and the Big East is going to get its fair share. So, we'll see. Okay. I, that was probably my next pick, Seton Hall. So okay, I, good. I Finally, I stole one from you after you stole TCU and Utah State from me. Okay, so in theory, this should be the last pick of a team that there could be 18 spots. So there should be one more team that we can be like, yeah, we're, they're going to go. Um, 
So I'm going to go with uh, Temple. Um, this is Fran Dunphy's last season at Temple. And he has a team that's played uh, actually a pretty hard schedule and has been pretty good. They did lose at Memphis. Um, uh, they have UConn and UCF to finish the season. If they could get that UCF home win, that'll help them. Um, they have wins. They, they don't need to beat Houston until this weekend. Uh, they, their other quality wins, they were neutral over Davidson. Um, their other wins aren't really much to write home about. Um, they do have a bad loss at home against Penn. But... I figure if they if they win 22 games and then win a couple in the AAC tournament, a 23-24 win team with a 12-6 conference record would be enough to get Temple in. So now we're going off the board. Um, who is the most likely team of these teams that's not in the field to get in? Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Lipscomb... Uh, this Lipscomb was a subject of uh, an email that uh, uh, that would be assassin sent us right before they lost to uh, Florida Gulf Coast University, which is uh, not a good look. But they have won their last two. They're twenty three and six. They have a win at Liberty. They have a win at TCU. Um, all their losses, except for the home Liberty loss and the F F FGCU loss, were um, A losses, including at Belmont, at Louisville, at Clemson, and home to Belmont. Um, yeah, so I think, the, again, it's a chance, like with Belmont, they can win the conference tournament and get in, or maybe they sneak in as an at-large if the people are being generous. So I'll go with Lipscomb. Cool. Uh, my next pick is going to be Creighton. Uh, I think the Big East tournament is going to be ripe for resume-building wins just because the Big East, as we've talked about, is not very deep. Um, Creighton had some tough losses, including they came to Marquette back in January. They lost in overtime. Um, but they just beat Marquette. They have Providence and DePaul, pretty good finish to the schedule for them. They're gonna, and then if they win those games, they'll finish nine and nine in conference. Who knows what they can do in the uh, Big East tournament? Uh, they played Villanova tight on the road this year and lost to them in overtime. Uh, they lost them again at home by 12, but I think they have some chances to beat them there. And just you know, 500 record in conference and a couple wins in the conference tournament may be enough. And then now I'm gonna get really crazy and go with Indiana here. I've been poo-pooing them all year. I've been made fun of them. We're just kind of incredulous at how poorly they play through conference season, but they're still on the list. Uh, the team ranketology has them as the fourth team out. And again, they have some chances to make noise and high profile wins in the big 10. We'll do it. So there. Yeah. Two wins against Michigan state. They beat Marquette. Um, yeah. I think they beat Louisville. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. So I have two final picks. Um, oh man, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with. Oh my goodness, this is this is brutal. This, this is, is really this tough. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with Murray State. Um, again, one of the best teams in their conference could win the tournament or could get in without winning the tournament, maybe. And then my last pick, I will go with... Uh, who does Xavier have left? At Butler Home. I'm going to go with Xavier. But Xavier really? could win their last two games, go 10-8, and eight, be 18-13 and 13 overall. Um, they would have then won seven straight games, including four A wins to finish the season. Um, they had a very bad non-conference. Really nothing to speak of. They won neutral against Illinois, and that's basically it. But if they can win these two games at Butler home against St. John's, that'll be, that'll be my pick. 
What about you? What's your last? My pick? last pick is going to be St. Mary's, which just lost uh, to Gonzaga. Gonzaga, but they have played okay this year. They beat New Mexico State. I think that's their only A win. Uh, but they're 2011, and they play in a West Coast Conference. They're a perennial tournament team. They're 35th in Ken Palm. Uh, I think if some teams stumble, they have a shot. So, plus if they beat Gonzaga, somehow beat Gonzaga in the West Coast tournament. Uh, they'll probably get in. So. Yeah, the West Coast Conference bracket, just so people are aware, that tournament starts this week. Um, you have Gonzaga is in the same quarter as San Francisco and Loyola Marymount. Um, I f- actually, I'm not, uh, I'm not positive about that. Loyola Marymount has the same record as uh, as the team behind it. But basically, San Francisco is the team that they would play in the semis if it held the seed, and St. Mary's gets BYU in the semis. So there's a chance that Gonzaga gets knocked off before they play St. Mary's. Um, uh, in the final, but it looks like probably the winner of St. Mary's BYU against Gonzaga, unless uh, my my buddy Kyle Smith can pull up a huge upset um, there in this in the conference tournament. And you know the other team, Loyola Marymount is pretty good too, eight and eight. San Diego seven and nine. Um, even Santa Clara at eight and eight with Herb Sendek has been dangerous of late. We've seen them knock off uh, San Francisco uh, recently, um, and they actually I think they played. St. Mary's tough, uh, 11 points, not that tough. But Okay, well, let's review the picks. Um, and then, again, the way we're, rank- we're doing this is two points for every team makes a tournament uh, unless you are a first four team, and then you get one point. So Tom's picks in order are Ohio State, Florida, Texas, St. John's, Clemson, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Arizona State, Seton Hall, Creighton, Indiana, and Gonzaga. My team I, mean, I, I pick St. Mary's. I type Gonzaga. Oh, St. Mary's, right. Yeah, yeah. that would be easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me, I picked uh, I picked Kentucky, Michigan State, Duke. Um, no, I, I picked Syracuse, VCU, UC, UCF, uh, Utah State, Alabama, TCU, Belmont, NC State, Temple, Lipscomb, Murray State, and Xavier. I have a very much a heavier lean towards some of these mid-majors. I figured I was double-dipping with a chance for the automatic bid, and maybe the, the NC tournament will be friendlier to them this year. You're going heavy with the major conference teams. Uh, I think every team you had is major conference except for St. Mary's. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Let's see how it goes. Would be assassin. Would like your picks said more than mine. Yeah. I wonder what he thinks. Uh, what, who would he? What picks did he like the best and the worst? Uh, email us uh, at double bonus double bonus at gmail dot com. We're also on Twitter at double bonus pod. Yeah. If you uh, made it this far. Yeah. Anyway, you probably know that by now. Yeah. So let's right. let's go through our our picks. Uh, I'm now only two games back of Tom. Amazingly, after, yeah. This is a big yeah. collapse. This is like. Yeah. Uh, this is like Louisville Duke collapse territory right now. Yeah, this is like Red Sox in 20, uh, 2011 collapse, right? Um, sure. Yeah, let's go with that Red Sox analogy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 2018 world, world champion Red Sox. Um, yeah. So we have uh, a couple games on Tuesday. I guess the big Monday games aren't very good this week. We actually have five games on Tuesday. Wow. What yeah, a night. Did, I did a cutoff of Ken Palm uh, excitement score. So I think it was yeah. 70. So yeah, anyway. Florida State, one-point favorite at home against Virginia Tech. Justin Robinson still supposedly out indefinitely. Florida State's red hot, but Vatek has had a week to prepare after um, after the game over Duke. Uh, and then we'll do one more, so you can do two in a row. Kansas at Oklahoma, one-point pick. Kansas needing this win to really have a shot at the Big 12 title. Oklahoma has been up and down, but could use this win to get an NCAA tournament bid secure. Uh, I like Florida State. I think they're one of the under-radar teams. I said two shows ago, I think it was. That I think they could like find their way in the Elite Eight and surprise everybody just because no one talks about them in that conference. And I think they'll win this game, especially if Robinson's still out. Kansas at Oklahoma, give me Kansas. Um, it's going to be a tough game, but Kansas with its back against the wall to win this title still will come out hard. 
Three more games. I, I agree actually with the, both yeah. those picks. Florida State. I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of on Florida State, and uh, I think that they, when we do a top twenty five next week, I think unless they could come up with some bad performances this week, um, they're probably going to be pretty high in my top twenty five. And Kansas, when you, whenever Bill Self has had to win in the Big Big Twelve, it reminds me of Willie Randolph, Willie Randolph in two thousand three, talking about the Red Sox, playing the Yankees being the Red Sox. He's asked. He was asked. This before Game Seven, the famous. Uh, Great little keeping Pedro in, and he was asked, you know, we be, can you beat him? Because the rest are playing really well. And Willie Randolph said, whenever we've had to beat these guys, we have. And whenever Bill Self has had to win a game to get a Big 12 title, he's won it. So I'm going to pick Kansas. Um, the next three games on Tuesday, we have Kentucky. These are three road favorites. Kentucky by four at Mississippi and Oxford. Purdue by four at Minnesota a team that needs a win, and Auburn by three at Alabama, another bubble team there. What, what are you thinking, Tom? Uh, I like uh, Kentucky and Mississippi to bounce back from that well-full shooting performance on Saturday. I think that they've been playing pretty well of late. I'm not going to get scared off by um, that one loss. Um, give me Purdue at Minnesota, even though I picked Minnesota in the bubble pool. I think Purdue has been really, as we said, underrated and very strong, very good offensive rebounding team. And then give me uh, Alabama at home, Auburn. Need signature wins, then, and this is going to be a signature win, but just, they don't seem to get the big win, so I'm going to take Alabama minus three. Okay. I'm taking Kentucky. Uh, I, I kind of like Mississippi in, in this game for a lot of reasons, but I do think the bounce back factors. Uh, actually, I'm going to Mississippi. I think Kentucky might win the game, but it's a four point spread. I could still, this game still be close, or Mississippi could win, and I win that. I, I do like Mississippi. Uh, they did play Tennessee pretty close. Um, Kirby Davis team is, is maybe a little bit overmatched uh, talent-wise, but I think that they keep this close. I'm picking Minnesota home against Purdue. Minnesota's not very good, but I feel like Purdue's bound for a, a mediocre performance at some point, and Minnesota, um, you know, they're playing okay of late. Alabama, uh, you're going to Alabama, going to Auburn. Auburn hasn't had a very good road win the whole season. I think it'll happen in this game. Um, Bruce Pearl, you know, this is like the mini Iron Bowl. Uh, I'll, t- I'll take Auburn. I'm not feeling too enthused about it. Um, one game on thir- on Wednesday, we have Florida hosting LSU in a two-point favorite. Uh, Florida's going to have a bad loss to Georgia, but have been playing well. LSU is coming off a, uh, a win at Alabama. Uh, yeah, I like Florida in this game. Desperation time for them. They know they're playing for their tournament lives. They've already beaten LSU once on the road, so I don't see why they can't do it again. Very logical, which is why I'm going with LSU. Um <laughs> I'll just take Tremont Waters as the point guard on the road, be able to handle the O-Dome um, and get things going there. Two games, three games Saturday. Uh, three very good games. Well, well, one huge game. Duke, one-point favorite at North Carolina. Tennessee, one-point favorite at Auburn. And then Iowa State, a one-point favorite in Ames against Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, I like North Carolina to win at home. I think that Zion probably will not be playing in this game based on what Coach K has been saying, but just a guess. Um, and so, obviously, you throw out the records, and one point spread is basically a pick game, and Duke could certainly win this game, but I like North Carolina. Uh, Tennessee at Auburn. Uh, we talked about Tennessee, how reliant they are on their starters, and how Auburn doesn't really play up to its competition. So I just see this as another game in that where Tennessee just rides Jordan Bone, Schofield, Williams, and comes in comes away handily and then texas tech i talked about how well they've been playing so far this year i know it's tough to go into iowa state and win uh but i will take uh texas tech and this probably this game 
my prediction, by the way, is that this will seal the Big 12 title for Texas Tech. Yeah, well, I guess if I picked Kansas to get a share of the Big 12 title, I got to pick Iowa State. Yeah, um, yeah, the the boys from Ames have been very inconsistent this year. Um, they just lost at Texas by 17. Um, they've lost four of six. They, you know, it seemed like everything coming together. They were getting guys healthy off suspension. Uh, they were 18 and five, seven and three in conference, and now they've lost four of six. Um, and it hasn't been like the toughest games home against TCU home against Baylor. Um, they've also lost at TCU and at Texas and, and some of those games, you know, 17 point loss at Texas. That's pretty, pretty gross. Uh, but I am going to take Iowa state to sneak this one out. I'm also taking Auburn. I'm going to be, I've been down on Auburn pretty much the whole year, but this is going to be my Auburn week. Bruce Pearl is going to turn it around and get two quality wins. He's coming off a, a really good performance at home, beating Mississippi state by five on Saturday. Um, they're only, I mean, their only loss since, uh, my birthday a couple weeks ago, more than two weeks ago, they played five games. They won four of them. Uh, the only loss was at Kentucky. It was by 27, which is not hardening, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, Auburn does have a solid offense. They are very three point dependent. And I guess I'll take them to win the three point lottery a couple times this week. Um, and then I will take North Carolina as well. Um, you know, even with Zion Williamson, this is a game that North Carolina could win, at home, for sure. Without Zion Williamson, um, you would definitely favor them, especially with the, their inability to play defense inside. Of course, you know the thing about college basketball predictions is that things change wildly from game to game. Uh, I think Zion Williamson might play. I figure they want to get him a game before the ACC tournament. Um, but, again, they're being very cautious. Duke doesn't want to have an issue where the, a player comes back and is not fully healthy and gets re-injured more seriously. I'll take North Carolina. And then, finally, Michigan State five-point favorite at home against Michigan in a game that could be for a share of the Big Ten title on Sunday. Uh, yeah, I like Michigan. They look very good in their win at Maryland today. I know they have not been so great on the road of late, but that was a big win today against Maryland, um, today being Sunday. So Michigan, let's look at their road games here. They lost at Wisconsin. They lost at Iowa. They lost at Penn State. So, yes, they've had some struggles on the road. Um, but their defense is still very good, and Michigan State's banged up. And really, just a little imbalanced right now. So give me Michigan in that game. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to take Michigan to cover. Um, we disagree on six games, and I'm uh, I'm two wins back, so I'll have to go four and two in those games, which is definitely doable. Definitely to, doable, yeah. Um, to tie you. If I picked Michigan State, I would have to go five and two um, to beat you, and four and three would not have been good enough. So I think, and I still think Michigan will cover. Uh, Michigan State has been a little vulnerable of late, as has Michigan. These are two teams that looked at different times this season, like maybe the second or third best team in the country. And I think now they're probably in the back half of that top 10. Um, nothing to, to be ashamed about, but Michigan State um, coming off a loss to Indiana. They have another game in, the, in midweek, but very dependent, as I mentioned, to Cassius Winston. Will Michigan and Xavier Simpson be able to contain that? Um, and then also, the, you know, the second time around, Michigan State really took it to Michigan in the first game. Um, uh, I guess it was actually pretty close most of the way. That was just last weekend, right? Uh, yeah. At Michigan State, was. Michigan. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll take Michigan to, to cover. I'm not going to predict the win and the loss. But, um, but yeah, it's the last week of the season. We're going to get some conference champions crowned. Um, and then next week, we'll be able to talk about uh, the major conference tournaments as well as our last top 25 um, and it'll be championship week, yeah. Yeah, big time. Big. Uh, the business end of the season is rapidly approaching, Brendan. So have a this good rate. March. We didn't we didn't plug it, but please rate us on 
iTunes, on uh, wherever, you, wherever you rate people, five stars for this podcast. And follow us on Twitter, yeah. at Double Bonus Pod. You can rate uh, us on Uber if you want to, wherever you want to rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and what else? Oh, uh, email is doublebonuspod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, big week of basketball, and we're getting to judgment time. So the pick segment, this is a big week for the pick segment because – you need yeah. to make up some ground, but you've closed the ground admirably. So, yeah. Yeah, I went seven and five last week, and you went three and nine. It was a um, Brendan-esque you, week for me. Yeah, oh, ouch! Wow. Yeah. Between between Kansas's win over Kansas State on Monday and Gonzaga's win late last night against St. Mary's, you lost nine straight. Yeah, um, brutal, and if yeah. it wasn't for the Michigan sneaking out that, and they, I mean, they won by seven. It wasn't a sneak. Uh, I could have been in the lead or, or tied entering this week actually if uh, maryland hadn't uh, screwed me yeah so. i was watching that game with extra attention because of this because yeah, i checked in on this spreadsheet i was like yeah. Ooh, did not have a good week <laughs> yeah. yeah good old mark garfield i actually thought i had picked tennessee and i look back and i was like ah oh, i didn't pick tennessee um they uh uh they um I, I didn't. I underrated the 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 loss of uh, Reed Travis. So that's that was a bummer. But anyway, all right. All right. Um, Until next week, Brendan. We'll, we'll catch you next basketball. week. Enjoy. Yeah, enjoy the basketball. Enjoy your rest of your life over the lot next week. And until we chat again, um, I'm Brendan. He's Tom. And uh, the Dope Bonus Podcast. Chance for the lead or a tie. They go to the rim. For three, no! Loose ball in the corner. Three seconds to go. Oh my goodness!